Great. Well, good evening. Um, some of you, if you weren't here last week or the week before, or you weren't here this morning, will not know who I am. So my name's Richard, and um, I'm the new assistant pastor here at St. Paul's. And it's uh, lovely to be with you guys, lovely to be part of this church family, and uh, lovely to speak to you this evening. For those of you who are interested, I'm married to Julie, and we've got three children, Ben, Ella, and Joshua, and it's, um, it's lovely uh, for us all to be here and to be with you. Let me um, read you uh, our passage for tonight. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5, and if you'd like a Bible, there's some Bibles at the back, so you can go and grab one. So it's Luke chapter 5, and starting at verse 27. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we pray this evening, Lord, that you would would speak to us through your word I pray that we might know your grace this evening in Jesus name Amen so we're doing a series uh, in the evenings we're looking at um, occasions on which Jesus encountered somebody and as a result of that meeting that person's life was transformed so we've heard stories and Luke sorry gives us this long kind of series of these kind of encounters so there's stories about Jesus encountering fishermen and changing their lives of him healing people casting out demons uh, stories of him healing lepers and last week Chris spoke about the story where the four friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus and, and rip the roof off in order to get this guy to Jesus, and Jesus heals him and forgives him. And in some ways, this story of the calling of Levi, I think, is a climax to this long sequence of encounters between Jesus and people where Jesus transforms their lives. But in some ways, on the surface, it's not quite as dramatic as some of the stories that have preceded it. Certainly not as dramatic as the story uh, where the roof is ripped off and this guy is lowered on his mat down in front of Jesus. But actually, If you had been a Jew in the first century, if you had been there when this story had happened, this story was loaded with drama. This story was about as loaded with tension and drama as you can possibly imagine. You see, Jews in the first century, they'd have been quite happy with the idea of Jesus transforming the lives of fishermen. They'd have thought it's quite good that Jesus transforms the lives of people who have not quite made the grade. They're sort of stuck in a a bit of a dead-end job. They'd have been quite happy with the idea of Jesus maybe healing the leper, healing the person who was ostracized from religious life and community life. They'd have been happy with him healing the sick and casting out the demons. Some of them may even have been happy with the idea that he was able to forgive the sins of the guy lowered through the roof. 
but a tax collector. In the first century, that was, that was a whole different ballgame. For Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, this holy man, Jesus, the one who some people may have begun to be wonder, wondering, is this possibly the Messiah? For him to approach a tax collector. That was taking things to a whole new level. You see, tax collectors were despised by the Jews. They were despised by the local people. I'm not really sure what the, uh, the equivalent person would be today. Uh, maybe people that have committed certain types of crime and society just kind of recoils from it. I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent w- would have been, but, but in the first century, the local people, they would have despised the tax collector. They would have hated Levi. And there would have been real tension in the air when Jesus approaches him. You see, Levi the tax collector, he represented Rome. He worked for Rome. And Rome stood in opposition to everything that the Jews hoped for, everything that they longed for, everything that they believed was rightfully theirs under God. Rome stood in opposition to it. So all of those promises about land, about freedom, about prosperity, about being able to govern, Rome opposed all of them. The promised land, the land that they had longed for for hundreds of years, had become a prison. Rome kept them prisoner within the land that God had promised them. And Levi, well, he worked for Rome. But what made it worse was that Levi was one of them. Levi was one of their brothers. Levi was a Jew. Levi was a descendant of Abraham. Levi bore the mark in his own flesh of the promises that God had made to the Jews. He was their brother. And yet Levi had sided with their oppressors. See, the way the Roman taxation system worked was that the Roman governor would kind of lease an area to somebody. And they liked to look for a local person, somebody that knew the people, someone that would be able to work in that kind of culture, that knew what was going on. And they would say to the person who, who got that lease, they would say, you have to extract a certain amount of tax from those people every year. So let's say it was Northfields. The Roman government might say, you have to extract, let's say, I don't know, a million pounds worth of tax each year from the people of Northfields. And we don't really mind how you do it. We don't really mind who pays what or how you do it. You just need to get the money. And then they'd say, look, if you can make two million, well, that other million, that's yours. You keep that. But you make sure you get us our million. And it was a very, very oppressive system. Because if you couldn't pay, 
If you were sick, if you were a widow, if you were an orphan, if you had no one that was earning the money, or the tax collectors could do pretty much whatever they wanted in order to extract the payment from you. It was a system that was dreadfully oppressive. Levi was their brother, and he oppressed them. Levi worked for Rome. And because of that, people hated him. People would have despised him. And Luke writes, after this, that's after the healing of the paralytic, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. If you read this story in Mark's Gospel, you see that Jesus is actually with a crowd of people. This isn't like a little private meeting between these two guys. This is a big public event. Jesus approaches the tax collector, the person that everybody else despises, and he invites him to follow him. And Levi gets up and he leaves everything and he follows. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like in moments in the Bible where I'd like more detail, I don't get it. And in other moments where I could do with a little bit less detail, like when they're building the temple and stuff, I get a lot of detail. Do you you ever feel like that? I would love to know what was going on in Levi's life at that point, and I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, I I wonder if Levi hated himself. I wonder if Levi hated what he was doing to his people. I don't know. I don't know what was going on for Levi. But what I do know is that when Jesus approached him, Jesus' word and Jesus' presence was enough to completely transform that man's life. He left everything and he followed Jesus. You might be thinking, why is he telling us all about the Roman taxation system? This is not like a history lecture, but you know, I guess what I wanted to say this evening, the first thing anyway, is this, that if Jesus would call Levi, if Jesus was prepared to approach the tax collector in front of that huge crowd of people that would have hated him, if Jesus was prepared to invite Levi to become one of his disciples and later to appoint him as one of his 12 apostles. If if Jesus would call Levi, Jesus would call you. If there was enough grace to call the tax collector, there's enough grace to call you. And tonight as we were praying someone just had a word and they said, oh, I, can't, I didn't write it down, I wish I had, but it was something along the lines of that someone needs to know that there's enough grace for them tonight. Well, if Jesus had enough grace for Levi, he has enough grace for you and for me, as broken as we are. And I don't know where you are tonight. I'm, 
You may have never really heard that call to follow Jesus. You might just be exploring faith. But I want to say to you that if you've never heard it, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Maybe I, I, grew, I, was a, I grew up in a Christian family. One life for most of the week and then a different life on a Sunday. I felt great. Like I, and as he prayed, it was as if he knew everything that I was. That he wanted all of me. He loved me so much, he wanted all of me. You know, in this moment, Jesus approaches someone who is one of the most despised figures you can possibly imagine in that culture. And he loves him, and he's compassionate towards him, and he's jealous for him. And if there was enough grace for Levi, then tonight there's enough grace for you, and there's enough grace for me. And you know, the reason that Jesus called Levi is because, well, because he loved him, because he was compassionate, because he was jealous for him, all those things. But, you know, Jesus had something better for him. Jesus had a hope for him, a purpose for him. And I think the most amazing thing, the thing that I love most about this story is what happened to Levi. You see, Jesus took that man's life the life that was sinful and corrupt and broken, and Jesus turned it into something that was beautiful. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. You see this man, Levi, sitting at his desk, entrenched in, in sin and deceit and corruption and cheating people and probably treating people horribly. He's transformed. And you know, this guy, his name's Matthew. We know him as Matthew. We know him as the guy that wrote Matthew's gospel. And this man's story, well, he puts it on paper. He writes down the story of Jesus, of what Jesus did for him and of what Jesus did for other people. And the story that he wrote, the account of Jesus' life that Levi wrote brings people into the presence of God, into the presence of that loving, compassionate, jealous Father every single day of every single year for the last two millennia. It's in the Bible. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus would take such a broken life and he would transform it in such a way that that broken life became a channel through which thousands and thousands and thousands of people encounter the grace of God. That's what Jesus does. He takes broken lives and he turns them into something that's beautiful, something that has hope, something that has a purpose, and something that gives hope to others. The second thing I want to say is this, that Jesus doesn't just change the lives of individuals, but in this story, in this account, Jesus begins to change a whole culture. Jesus begins to change a whole culture. You see, um, 
the Pharisees, their approach to holiness was that they would avoid. It was avoidance. We avoid everything that we feel could contaminate us. So lepers, certain people suffering with certain things or certain dead things or certain foods or whatever it was. Tax collectors, sinners. We avoid them. We just step right back from them because they contaminate us. And yet Jesus here begins to change the culture because Jesus actually steps towards those people. Jesus actually accepts an invitation to go and eat at Matthew's house. And he's hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees are looking and going, what is he doing? But you see, Jesus is beginning to change a culture. See, Jesus wasn't contaminated by their sin. Jesus didn't become like them in what they were doing. But Jesus invaded their culture so that his kingdom, the goodness of his kingdom, might begin to impact other people's lives. I, um, I'll just tell the story and then I'll finish. But I, uh, when I, was, I used to be a youth worker and um, I had the misfortune for a period of time of going into a, a secondary school and leading a Christian union in that secondary school. I say misfortune because this school was, um, it was, a, it was a grammar school it was very, very academic, very competitive in terms of academia. And it was also very competitive when it came to sport. And if you weren't both of those things, if you weren't very academic and very good at sport, you were in trouble in this environment. And so my little Christian union was basically the boys who were kind of in trouble in this environment. And they would just come to this Christian union. All they really wanted to do was watch The Simpsons. That was the time when The Simpsons was quite cool. I guess it still isn't a weird way, but anyway, that's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to say, Rich, can you, can you bring the Simpsons in? Can we, can we play on the PlayStation? That's all they ever wanted to do. And sometimes I'd try and do something a bit more constructive with them, and it just never worked. They never wanted to do it. They just wanted to watch DVDs and just kind of while away their lunchtime. One term I came back uh, dreading. I used to hate it. It was, the word, it was just, oh, man. And came back, and I don't know what had happened to them, but two of them over the holiday had had an encounter with Jesus. And I don't know, I, don't know, I never really kind of properly worked out. It happened in another church somewhere in, in, um, in Tunbridge, actually. But they'd had this encounter with Jesus, and they came back on fire for him. And uh, we had a meeting together. We told them, what should we do this term? You know, we tried to plan the program together. And, and these boys said, I want to do an, one of them said, I want to do an assembly, and I want to share my testimony. And I was like, man, you, they will crucify you you know these boys they will get you after that assembly they will you will be in real trouble and I tried to talk him out of it and all this kind of stuff and I, I was like oh we have to think about this and all this kind of stuff and he said no I just want to stand up in front of my friends and I want to tell them about why I believe in Jesus and so in the end we did he did this assembly and um, at the end of the assembly you could uh, you could hear a pin drop and two of his friends came up to him and they said I want to become a Christian I want what you've got. I've done loads of assemblies. I've never had anyone, to my knowledge, become a Christian in an assembly. Ever. I just didn't even think that was possible. And um, these boys came up, and the next week they were at Christian Union. But from that point on, every single time we met, and it was nothing to do with me, every time we met they were talking about how can we change 
the culture of this school? How can we infiltrate this school with the kingdom of God? That was all they were talking about. And it was like, we were, I was kind of running just to stand still with them, but they just did, I mean, this is just one little thing that they did. They, every Friday lunchtime, I would go in with some buckets and some sponges and stuff like that and boot polish. And every single Friday, this little group of Christian union guys, the, the sort of geeks, we'd stand in the corner of the playground and all of the big guys that would normally just push them around and this kind of stuff would bring their football boots to them. And they'd put their football boots down and we would spend our lunchtime washing the football boots of pretty much the entire school. It was actually quite a dreadful experience. But, you know, we did it faithfully. And at the end of it, boys would come back, they'd pick up their football boots, which, you know, and um, in their football boot would be a lolly and their football boots would be clean. And um, they did loads of stuff like that. And I had ended up having a meeting with the headmaster. And in the meeting with him, he said to me, he said, those boys have changed the culture of this school. They are talked about in the staff room. And it was amazing pleasure. It had nothing to do with me. I, just, I was the reluctant person all the way through. Like, oh. But they did it. Because they actually they went straight into, a, into, that, into the culture of that school with the good news that God draws close, that God loves, that God's compassionate, that God's gracious. And they found any way they could to share it with, with the guys in that school. And it was amazing to hear the headmaster say that. You see, Jesus doesn't just change people's lives, but he, he began to change culture. And I think he calls us to change culture. Would you be willing to change the culture, maybe of the school, the office, the street, the friendship group? Would you be willing to draw close so that the kingdom of God can draw closer? God turns our lives, broken as they are, into something beautiful. And he calls us to impact the cultures in which we live and move.